Hello, listeners, and welcome to Capture It. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Listen, life is a journey full of moments that provide us with opportunity to capture what it is that helps us grow into the people we truly want to be. Let's talk about these ideal characteristics that inspire and motivate us all. And in time, work to capture it ourselves. Welcome back to episode two. Today we welcome longtime teacher and coach John Koopenbender to the show. Someone who taught me, coached me, and has inspired me all along the way of life and who I now get to call a good friend. John Koopenbender resides in the great town of Mount Angel, Oregon. He is married to his better half, Pam Koopenbender, and has two incredible daughters, Sarah and Kelly. Today, we invite John to the show to speak with us about the power of attitude. We also want to give a shout out to our episode sponsors, Damas Painting and Construction. For all your interior and exterior needs in the Portland metro area, give them a call, 503 503- Three three two three five seven three. So let's welcome John Koopenbender to the show. Uh, we call him Coop. Coop, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yourself? Uh, very good, very good. I, I've been wanting to have this conversation for quite a while. Um, and so I finding a way to bring this into the podcast capture it is, uh, is just, it, I'm beyond excited. Um, have you ever done anything like this before? Uh, not quite like this. I did have a student do a, a kind of a bio of me at the end of my teaching career. So and that'd be the closest thing to this. I think I've seen that before. Okay. And if I, if I haven't, then I want to. And if I've seen it, it's been a while, and I want to watch it again. Okay. I think I've seen it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Danny Vandercoovering. Okay. Hey, so we're going we're gonna to start this thing off, Coop, um, with playing a little game. I know you really well, and so uh, I want to give the listeners a little bit of chance to kind of understand who you are um, and why I brought you to the show. Um, so we're going to um, start with a game called How Well I Know You. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to answer the question with my best guess, and then you, of course, as the guest, uh, you are going to correct me um, if I'm wrong. So first question, are you ready? I am ready. Uh, What year were you born? Um, I'm going to guess 1960. Well, that's a fine guess, and I appreciate that, but I was actually born in 1951 during the administration of Harry Truman. You age well. <laughs> you age well. Okay, so uh, a coop one, Joe nothing. <laughs> okay, what town did you grow up in? Um, here's what I remember about you, okay? Feed him the fish, the fish, the fish. Feed him the fish, the fish. Which, in my memory, says that you grew up in Astoria, Oregon. Well, that's not exactly true. I did go to high school in Astoria where I learned that famous fish chant, but I was born in Portland, Oregon at St. Vincent's Hospital when it was downtown Portland, 1951 in Portland, where I grew up until 
the middle of my freshman year in high school when the family moved to uh, a farm outside of Astoria. So you were in Portland for a long time. Yes, I was. Portlandia is part of John Koopenminder. Keeping Lear- myself weird we- many years later. <laughs> we are learning stuff new already. Uh, how many years, John, did you teach? My guess um, is based on what I know, because I'm a teacher, they say after 33, you can, you can retire. Um, my guess, though, for you is was 36 years. Also incorrect, Joe. Uh, as it turns out, I taught about 32 years. Okay. Uh, however, if you add in some years that I subbed after I, re- after I officially retired, it might reach as much as 36. I love it. Okay. Um, I've coached more years than I've taught. My guess was that you've done about maybe the same. How many years did you coach? I coached I believe every year that I taught except the except one. So my guess was 40, so still about 36 years of coaching? Yes. Um, next question, how many sports did you coach? My guess, I, I know you're a football guy. I mean, I, you coached me in football. Uh, my guess was maybe you did track as well. That at some point you coached track. But how many different sports have you coached in your career? Well, it is correct that I coached football and track. I also coached uh, freshman boys basketball, and I coached um, JV baseball, or assistant baseball coach. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've coached a lot of different sports myself, football being the main one, baseball, and uh, softball being the second. And so when you're a teacher and in the coaching world, they love to rope you into uh, getting as much impact on those kids as possible. Uh, You were a social studies teacher. Um, and so I, I love to pose the question, what period of time in U.S. history is your favorite? Here's the ticket. You need to understand that whatever part of history you're teaching and learning about is the most fascinating time there is. And whatever president is president is the most fascinating guy there is, even if he's an absolute dullard. But that's what we got to deal with right then and there, right? <laughs> that's what so, we got to deal with. But that's, I mean, that we're going to get closer to talking about, you know, why we invited you here. But what a great approach to, um, you know, U.S. history and, and teaching social studies. And because, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, it's in the past. And how do I get excited about that? Um, we've talked a little bit about that before. But how do you, how do you build attitude around that? Well, you just get excited about it yourself. You try to think of the of the people in history as as your neighbors or friends or somebody down the road or your your own relatives. Think of them as people, and and uh, try to understand what makes them work. Yeah, somebody once told me that people are the most interesting thing on this planet, <laughs> and I've only been proven right on that. <laughs> people are great. All right. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's jump into, uh, do you have a favorite president? Um, my guess is one of the Roosevelt's. Okay. Um, and I'm going to guess that it was Franklin Roosevelt just cause he was a Democrat. Wow. I wouldn't uh, restrict myself to a Democrat or Republican. Uh, I actually prefer Teddy to Franklin. Oh, okay. And, um, I, and Jefferson and Lincoln are way up there on my list as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we also, um, 
you know, it's, it's funny. I, I'm just curious. Have you ever done the math? Have you ever um, tried to figure out how many students you have taught and or coached? Have you ever done the math on that? Well, my, my wife is a math teacher, so I usually defer to her for uh, things mathematical. But um, the number of students I've taught... Well, here, here was my answer to this question. All right. Uh, because I think it's an impossible answer. The impact that you have created in this world, John Kubenbender, um, is, is never-ending. Um, it's like a ripple, right? It's like a, you, you stand on the edge of a pond, you po- toss a pebble in. Um, th- the pebble will create a ripple that will hit every inch of the shoreline, right? Um, that's what teaching and coaching is like. Uh, the impact that you have made, you can't count because uh, you'll always be wrong, and it's probably way more than you think. Um, and so that's a, it's kind of, that's a trick question. That definitely is a trick question uh, because you can't count that. Um, there are kids uh, that I teach that are going to be listening to this podcast, and you will be teaching them something. So how would you ever count that number? You can't. So I wanted to give you a chance because I know you pretty well, but maybe the listeners don't. Is there um, any, any way that you could explain who you are uh, in a minute or two about, uh, you know, the journey of John Koopenbender? Wow. Well, I was fortunate because I, I was born into a family with uh, great parents, three brothers, three sisters, who uh, taught me a whole lot about essential values. Uh, I had older sisters who got me so excited about life and about school so that by the time I was five years old and and uh, heading off to kindergarten, I was so pumped and so excited from day one to be like my big sisters and my older neighbors in the neighborhood that was so rich and rewarding. I couldn't wait to be a part of it. And I really believe I enjoyed every year, every, well, I stayed in school as a teacher. So as a student and as a teacher, it was a great experience. But having the support of family was really the key to it all. Uh, that sounds like to me, like you figured out something pretty early in your life. And that is uh, the, the value and the importance of being part of something bigger uh, than yourself. You know, that excitement of like, oh, I get to go to school. That's what my sister does. That's what the kids in my community do. Um, so that excitement uh, around being part of uh, something bigger than yourself, that's been something you've always had? Yeah, I really have. Uh, I, I just love it. I never wanted to miss a day of school for fear that I might miss something interesting. And, uh, and when I got out of school and, and uh, was not teaching at, at initially out of, uh, after a couple of years of college, I, I, uh, when I had the opportunity to go back and get my degree and start teaching, I was really excited about it. And then fortunate also that uh, my wife, Pam, who I met in college, is also a teacher and a great one, in my opinion. And so we we supported each other over the years, and that was critical to what we did as well. Absolutely. I was getting coffee this morning, and um, one of the ladies in, in, in the coffee shop, she knows me because I'll go through there every once in a while. She said, Joe, are you ready to go back to school? I said, yeah, because we're on we're on break right now. But um, the the other the other lady in the coffee shop says, oh, oh, you're going back to school. What for? I said, I'm a teacher. I'm going to be in school the rest of my life. And they both start laughing. But, you know, I, I joke at it. But what an honor. Like, you know, it's like it's like I get to go to school for the rest of my life. And and, you know, 
students often think hey, teachers they they know it all and they're just you know gonna they're gonna teach us but like as I build curriculum as I I, I plan my lessons and if I've taught the same lesson over and over it changes um, and and the further that I go in my career the more that I'm learning and so uh, yeah we get to you got to and you still part of that that lifelong education right that we promote as teachers, but it's, it's so true. I mean, uh, there's stuff that I know that even though you're retired and not teaching anymore, you're learning all the time. Um, and there's so much more to that journey. And so, uh, yeah, we get to go to school every day. I'm going to be in, in school the rest of my life, but that that's part of something I'm excited about. So I'm going to jump into um, why I invited you on the show in the first place. Um, when I think of um, our umbrellas, the, the, the capture it, umbrellas that we have whole conversations under I, and it's going to bug people that I went out of order you know it's like it goes courage attitude perspective truth uniqueness recognition empathy so I'm guessing the listeners like well he's going to talk about courage first then he's going to talk about well I I'm it's probably going to bug him but I'm going to go out of order all the time because uh, the conversations I want to have you know um, you know I we need to start with attitude um, because I think if we're going to have the listeners jump into the the content and the ideas that we're going to talk about, then I think you got to go into it with with the right attitude. Of I can pick something up from these conversations. I can I can take something away today that I could work on today, tomorrow uh, to create habit and behavior in my life that might improve the person I am. So I want to talk about attitude first because any situation you go to, any venture you go into, you got to go into it with the right kind of attitude. So when I think of someone in my life who has consistently had a positive attitude, I think of you, John Koopenbender. So um, the next part to that is um, how have you in your life um, purposefully um, done a great job of having a consistent positive attitude? Well, I certainly have tried to be positive. It's more fun than being negative, I can tell you that. I think it's important that you embrace who you are to begin with and don't pretend that you're somebody you're not. I was born middle class. All right, I'm not a son of a billionaire. That's not a hardship. It's, it's okay with me. I happen to have a fairly large nose. Okay. <laughs> I suppose I could have it shortened or bobbed and have a little button nose, but instead I choose to embrace my nose. And if somebody wants to make fun of it, I'm usually ahead of them making a joke about it. And that helps. I tend, I tend to sweat. I tend to sweat <laughs> a lot. And when I'm teaching, I'm dripping wet. And I, you know, and I could, I could be embarrassed about it. I could be ashamed of it. I could try to hide it. Well, I wouldn't succeed. <laughs> so I might as well embrace who I am, and it's out there, and let's have fun with it. I love that. And so the, the other part, too, is um, I, I think that you have done an amazing job. Um, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from experience, but you know, you've, been, you know, you've been around long enough and have inter engaged with people long enough that I'm just probably one of the, the tick marks on your journey. Um, but you know, I, I have always thought that you, uh, do a great job of, of building attitude around you. Okay. So you bring in a positive attitude into a situation. It's infectious. Um, do you do that purposefully? 
Is there something that um, helps you with that? Is there something that um, you you go into a situation with some controlled thinking around, I'm going to bring the energy, I'm going to bring the positivity? Um, because I know that you do that for people. Well, I, let me first say, Joseph Traeger, that you're no tick mark in my life. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, and especially as from a teacher's perspective, no student should be a tick mark. And so I, I made a, pur- a purposeful effort. I made sure that I, I really, really tried to make sure every student felt welcome in the classroom. And uh, I would actually select some students that might otherwise be wallflowers or look like they're down and out or having a rough day or whatever, and, and try to address them personally, by name, make them feel welcome, make them feel a part of it. Now, I'm sure I didn't succeed with every kid. I know I didn't, but I made the effort with every kid to make them feel they were a part of the day and that maybe if no one else talked to them, if no one else had anything positive to say, at least they'd get one with me every day. That's what I hope for. That That is huge in education. And, and the further, again, I'm 10 years into it, love my career. I, I, I It's a lifestyle. I'm very passionate about it. But the further I get into it, I understand that exactly what you're talking about is is the, the relationship building factor. You know, if, if your kids, if your students don't feel comfortable and welcome in your classroom, how are you ever going to teach them? You know, but that's not just an education. I, you know, roll it over to a, a industrial shop. If a boss and a manager or, or a supervisor isn't building relationships uh, in the workplace, how hard are your workers going to even want to work for you? You know, so it's, it's, it's not just in education. It's, it's in life. It's, it's being what people need from you in the moment that they come in contact with you. Um, I got this from from Keith Hawkins, who's one of my good friends, and he's a nationwide uh, youth speaker. But he uh, he talks about the idea, and I latched onto this and in this type of thinking is that um, when somebody comes into contact with you, they might be having the worst day of their life, and so why in the world will we make it worse? Why don't we just assume that in that moment, it is our job, it is our duty, it is our humanity. Um, calling to make this person's interaction better, make this person's bit, uh, day better from that point. So that's always st- stuck with me too. So you, you build attitude uh, with the people around you, and, and, and sometimes you may even change attitude from negative to positive. I have a story for you on this one. All right, let's hear it. I'm not sure if you understand how impactful you were in, in my journey to, to get to where I am. And, and to where I'm going. Um, I tell this story a lot when I'm, when I'm speaking with my leadership students, when I'm, when I'm speaking to staff. Um, I share the story uh, of a three-by-five note card that John Koopenbender left in my football locker and said, come see me. Um, and I, I, I went and talked to you, and in that moment, um, you changed my attitude. Um, because I was, um, you know, fourth in line to five siblings, um, three siblings ahead of me, you know, two parents, you know, going to college, um, was not necessarily something that I had seen done before, um, in my life. And so when I was a senior in high school, um, I, I definitely got to the point where I was like, okay, well, what do you do next? And so 
college to me wasn't really the, the next step. At least in my head, I couldn't wrap my head around going to college because I hadn't necessarily seen it been done successfully before me, at least in my line of uh, family. So um, again, and that's probably just my tunnel vision of a, of a stubborn high school senior boy, right? So I, uh, I, I, I wasn't thinking at the time to, to go to college, but everything in my situation was, you know, your, your grades are good. You, you know, you're, you're involved in your school. You play multiple sports. You're, you're the ASB president of your school. All those signs point to, yeah, you probably should go to college afterwards. Um, but again, my parents talking to me, it wasn't really sinking in. My attitude around going to college wasn't great. And I was trying to think of like, well, maybe I join the military. Maybe I go work for the family company. Maybe I go, you know, do this. College wasn't that thought process. And so this three by five note card that I got from you that said, come see me. Um, and the conversation was simple. Um, you said, um, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, you said, Joseph, don't be stubborn like your father. You need to go to school. Um, and I'll never forget that. And, and for me in that moment, um, it, was, it was you, uh, someone that I respected, somebody that inspired me, somebody that I know had done it before, teacher, coach, obviously went to school, um, and who I know who had done it before, telling me, you need to do this. Do you remember that conversation? Well, I do. And um, sometimes a clear and simple message is the best one. And I hope I delivered it. Sounds like maybe I got through to you. Totally. I, I, you changed the attitude around going to college for me. Um, and because of that moment, as simple as it, as it was from, you know, you knowing my father, you guys were great friends, uh, coached with each other for however long, I mean, probably over 20 years, easy. Um, just being really good friends, still great friends today. I mean, you guys, for goodness sakes, have a, have a filbert orchard that you're growing together. Um, knowing him as well as you do, um, allowed you to, to step in not only as a teacher and a coach, but just a friend and say, listen, you know, uh, if you're not going to listen to your dad, who's right, by the way, um, he was right. And if you're not going to listen to the other people that are telling you, you're going to listen to me, you need to go to school. Um, and that changed my attitude. And, and my attitude from that moment on was like, maybe he's right. Because there was still a lot of fear um, involved in that. There was still a lot of fear around the unknown. Um, nobody in my family had gone to college, had, had gotten a college degree. Um, and they, granted, they've all taken different paths and they're doing great for themselves. And I'm not saying that college has to be the answer. But for me, I definitely should have done it because if I didn't, um, it wouldn't have led me down the path to doing what I absolutely love, um, working in education, working with kids, uh, being a builder of young people and a coach of people. Um, uh, and then also, you know, leading down the road, like now we're starting a podcast and hopefully we're reaching beyond, beyond the classroom with that. So uh, John Kuhnbender, thank you for that moment. I don't know if you knew, but you changed my attitude around uh, me going to college. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Of course, you know, I would not have been so clear about that if I didn't feel that I was doing exactly what your parents would want me to do. I don't think it's right to go against uh, parents and create conflict, but there is, I think, little doubt in my mind or your parents that a college education and a, a career based on your college education 
would be right for you. And with other students, you know, college isn't the answer, but something is the answer. Everybody has some things that they can do that are a good fit for them. It just turned out that this is a great fit for you. Well, I'm, I'm certain of that. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And, and you're hitting on like that idea of true enterprise, right? Uh, what are your skills? What are you good at? Um, and matching that with a passion, right? And if you do those two things, you might, you might be on the right path. So uh, uh, we were brainstorming about this earlier. D- did my father say, Coop, go get my kid to go to college. Go convince him. Did he, do you think that happened? I think it's, uh, it's likely, and uh, your father, of course, is a great friend. And uh, he also is a man who doesn't mince words. He lets it out. And so if he told me that I should do that, I was more than willing and happy to comply. Awesome. And I just love, um, I love your guys' friendship. I love your history of coaching together, a sport that we love, football, the greatest sport ever invented. Um, and it's just been really cool to, to see you guys um, just as really good friends. I mean, an example of what good friendship looks like. I, I, I've always been inspired by that, just seeing that in you um, and my father. Having good friends is a major key in having a positive attitude. Again, surround yourself with good people. If you have a good spouse, good coworkers, good friends, gravitate to them. Take what you can from them. Learn from them every day. Even in retirement, I'm learning all the time. But make it around positive people. And the ones who aren't positive, you don't need them in your life. And minimize your contact with them as best you can. You don't need to put them down. You don't need to try to change them, but you don't need to spend all your time with them either. Spend your time with the good people. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, family's hard to get rid of. Okay. So we'll put that there. Okay. Uh, Your family is your family. But you know, when you talk about surrounding yourself with, with friends and people that, that are good for you, it's like, you know, uh, question that, um, have conversations with yourself. Are these people in my life good for me? Um, or are they, you know, really not helping me out that much. And it's not like you have to have a, a big breakup with your friends. Hey, you know, this, you and me, we're, we're, we're not going to work out. Sorry, I, I got to let you go. Um, it's not like you have to have this big breakup. Simply invest your time in the people that are good for you. And that'll take care of it all itself. You know, if they're not going to be good for you, don't invest the time in them. Invite them to come invest time with you in the people that you're surrounding yourself with that have those positive attitudes that are good for you, and that, that'll take care of itself. You don't have to go through life doing all these friends breakups, right? Um, and then the other part, too, it's like just because you've known someone your entire life, you know, you grew up with them, and they're always saying, you know, we were in diapers together. Who cares? Since when does pooping in diapers create this major bonding effect? that we all don't know about. You know, it's like, if they're not good for you right now, spend less investment in them, you know, and surround yourself. Like That's great advice. You know, I always talk about, like, what's good for a ninth grader to hear is good for anybody here. That's a great reminder for anybody. Surround yourself with people that are going to be positive and bring you up and bring your energy and your optimism and your enthusiasm up. Um, And you should do the same for them. Um, And so I, I love that. That's great advice. Um, and it kind of reminds me 
a little bit of the self-fulfilling cycle. Do you know anything <laughs> about the self-fulfilling cycle? Well, I know a little bit about it, but maybe okay. you can uh, increase my understanding. All right. There's two sides to it, good and bad, right? And so we're talking about attitude today. The self-fulfilling cycle starts with attitude. Then it goes to action, okay? Then it goes to experiences, and then at the end, self-talk. So if we start with attitude and we start with a good attitude, then we go into a good attitude will lead to good action. Good action will lead to good experiences. Good experiences then will lead to good self-talk. And it's this cycle, right? The self-fulfilling cycle. You start with a good attitude. It leads to good action, good experiences, and good self-talk. Now, on the flip side of that, negativity or a bad attitude is going to lead to bad action, is going to lead to bad experiences, is going to lead to bad self-talk, the vicious cycle, right? A downward spiral, if you ask me. And so that, you know, as simple as it might be, this cycle that, that goes around and around and around, starting with a good attitude, going to action, experiences, and self-talk. What do you think about it, John? Well, I think it's absolutely right, and I have uh, uh, experienced in my own life and certainly in people, relatives, and friends uh, on both sides of that cycle, both the negative and the positive. It, it absolutely is correct, and, and if you can guide your own life, guide your own day toward, toward good actions, I mean, good attitude, good actions, good experiences, and good self-talk, it's its own reward. And the other way just, just hurts. I have a sister with, uh, an older sister with uh, dementia, and she finds herself slipping away into the downward, uh, backward spiral, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get yourself free from that, but it's worth it if you can, and if you can find some tools that help guide you toward the positive, it's a great way to go. And it, it sounds to me a lot, too, like you're talking about habit, you know, creating it as a habit in your life. And so if, if I want to live a certain way, I got to start building that as habit. Or, or John Kubemitter, were you born with just a, a good attitude? Well, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was fortunate. I think I was. Uh, but I think I was born with a positive, a positive attitude, a positive life. But it is it. It's a garden that needs to be watered. <laughs> it, you need to nurture this thing uh, because it can slip the other way. And uh, I don't think anyone goes through life without having some some difficulties to overcome. Um, and so you have to have strategies to help you in those times. Well, we cannot deny that the genetics is a factor, okay? So the research of happiness. Um, uh, Harvard University, uh, one, of the, one of the biggest and most attended classes at Harvard University is um, a, a, a class about happiness, right? And they talk about in that class, they talk about um, your happiness being, you know, 50% genetic, Okay, which is big, you know. Um, can you fight your genetics? Absolutely. Um, and so then you have 10% that is circumstantial. So your situation in life, where you live, who you're with, 10% uh, of your happiness is, is circumstantial. Then 40% is intentional behavior. 40% of your life 
And the intentional behavior that you choose to do, the habits you choose to create, defines and contributes to your overall happiness. Which, you know, in me is like happiness, What you know, that to me plays very well with attitude. So 40% is within your control. So how do you control, how do you practice choosing a good attitude? Well, first, I'm not going to argue with Harvard. Uh, and I like the idea that if I have 40% say in what kind of life I live, then I'm going to take that 40% and make sure that it's that it's correct for me. And I think it's just extremely important to always look for silver lining. It's there. There's always something. The sun will come up the next day, even if you're in a tailspin. Um, in football or other sports, you know, you're getting beat sometimes. You're up against a tougher opponent or things just aren't clicking for you. But in football, in sports, and in life, there's always going to be another opportunity if you give it to yourself to have. If you take charge and say, okay, all right, we're not going anywhere on this drive, but maybe, you know, the next drive we've got a chance or the next play Maybe we gain a yard, which is more than losing a yard. So you go for it. And why not? Everything you're talking about, just in using the football example, too, is like you think about football, what a gritty sport, right? You know, grit. Um, in sports psychology, we talk a lot about grit. Well, one of the main factors of grit is, is optimism, right? Uh, go to the next play. Assume that you might be the, the, the next action, the next turnover, the next hit on the ball field, the next whatever it might be, that will change the momentum um, and the morale of for your team. And so we talk about grit and, and optimism. That, to me, is, is just and so that, that belief that um, you can be meaningful and purposeful in life um, to choose how you look at a situation. And, and that's, there's, a very, there's, there's a gritty piece to that. Um, and that, and that is, you got to maintain some hope. You got to maintain some optimism, no matter how bad it might get. Um, and so we're talking about habit. We're talking a little bit about, um, how we would behave in a certain way that would allow us to maybe choose, choose good attitude. So building mental skills, um, and positive attitude, again, capture it. The it stands for in time. So what can be things that we do? Um, in time, on a daily basis, um, to work toward um, reaching where we want to be at in our life with with positive attitude. So I got a list here of nine things, Coop. Um, there's different levels to this, and, and I just want to go through them really quickly because maybe our listeners uh, will be able to take some of these things, and, and especially the level one ideas, um, that uh, uh, I can start this today. I can, I can look at the way that I, I finish this day out, and try to implement some some changes. So, number one, choose and maintain a positive attitude. That's number one. I can I can do that at any point in the day, um, but it is thoughtful. You do have to do it. So, uh, do you have any 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 say on that? Well, I think I think you absolutely have the option to choose to be positive, and to choose to start the day, or at any point in the day, from this point forward, we're going forward, not backward. So I'm, I, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever been up to Seattle 
and the Pike Street Market, the, the fish market. I've been there. Okay. Uh, tell me a little about, like, what do they do there? Well, they, they toss the fish around. <laughs> they, what they do, though, is take a mundane task, you know, fish peddling, fish mongering, they call it. Yeah, go down to the docks, yeah. get the catch of it the day stinks. early in the morning. And they take that, that task, and what do they do? They make it fun. Yeah, well, and so you under, do you know that they actually have, at that marketplace, the owners, they actually have this thing called the fish philosophy? Fish philosophy? The fish philosophy. So they have four things, okay? Number one is choose your attitude, all right? And, and you, you hit it right on the nail. The, the idea that we're going to take this job that is not so glamorous, right, down to the docks early in the morning, get in the catch of the day, Seattle's cold, it's wet, it can be a little bit miserable. And then we are going to... Um, somehow make this fun. We're going to choose a positive attitude around it. And that's why people go from all over, all around to go see this fish market. And they, they go to see the show. Um, but the show is the positive attitude they've, they've, they've chosen. Hey, I was a history teacher. I taught about old dead guys all the time. <laughs> Sometimes hundreds or thousands of years old. How do you get a, a high school a teenager to be at all interested? Well, you better make it fun because otherwise they really don't care. And if you make it fun, if you purposely say, we're going to have some fun with this today, it changes everything to the positive. Yeah. You know, some people might think history is boring. It's not. Uh, and you can make it fun, right? And it was not my favorite subject in school. I'll, I'll, I'll full-handedly admit that. Um, but but I had one of the greatest teachers who did make it fun. And so I'm thinking about this right now, and I'm sitting in your classroom. We're getting ready to take a test. Tests are not fun. There's anxiety around tests. There's there's just the 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 quietness, the sitting down and taking a test. But you you always broke the ice of a test. Okay, because you had this pre-quiz, this pre-test speech that just reminded us of, of we're here and, and it's going to be okay. Um, would you be so kind to do your pre-speech uh, or your pre-test speech for us uh, today? Well, I'm, I'm honored. And let me give just a little background on it because it does go back to my very first year as a teacher and my concern uh, as as you said, Joseph, that uh, students are going to be filled with anxiety about a test. Some students hate tests, and uh, I always saw them personally as an opportunity to show off how much I knew, <laughs> but that's my own arrogance. But what about the kids that are filled with anxiety, and how do I project the right tone that I want to be serious about the test, do your best with the test, um, and maybe just relax so that you can do your best. So my very first test that I gave as a teacher at John F. Kennedy High School, in uh, that would have been the fall of uh, 1976, I said these words. Students, this is a 50-point evaluation designed to test your knowledge and understanding of the material included in chapters 1, 2, and 3. It is an individual evaluation, ergo, which is Latin for therefore, any talking, looking around, craning of the neck, or any other devious and suspicious behavior will be construed as cheating, and you will surrender your test with a score of zero. Are there any questions? Good luck. 
And, and for me, like I, that takes me right back into room 10. Was it room 10? It was room 10. <laughs> so it takes me right back into room 10 at John F. Kennedy in the great city of Mount Angel. Um, and it takes me right back there. And I, I, uh, I remember uh, just that, that smile on the face and that, that moment of like, it's going to be okay. It's just a test. Yeah. But, you know, the truth is, as I say it now and, and uh, the reality is, it's pure cornball. It's just cornball. It's just talk. It's saying something that, that you might say, well, that's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> okay, maybe it is. But students I know over the years and their children and their grandchildren came to uh, look forward to it, to expect it, and, uh, and I think we had fun with it. All right, building mental skills for positive attitude. Number two, uh, maintain a high level of self-motivation. In my understanding, that is why, you know, what are we working for? Um, and it, as we get motivated, um, you know, part of that motivation is, is why are we doing it? So what motivated you to be a positive person? If you don't motivate yourself, you know, then you, in a way you're relying on others. So take charge, pull up your pants and do it. Uh, I think that's part of it. Would you, would you say that, um, part of consistently choosing an attitude and having a positive attitude is remembering what you're doing it for? Well, yeah. And that reminds me of, uh, of some, some football drills we used to do. And, uh, my, my assistants, uh, actually Joseph, your father, Mark, and your uncle, Randy, and I consistently asked ourselves, why are we doing these drills? Each drill, the unexamined drill, Randy would say, is not worth doing. The unexamined play is not worth running. You need to know what the purpose is. And if you don't come up with a good purpose, don't do it. Uh, we had uh, previous coaches that used to uh, run, uh, have, the, have the athletes run lines at the end of practice. And uh, why are you doing that? Well, there are some good reasons to do it. Had a coach that used to have uh, uh, the football team run up the abbey, which is a, a hill on the edge of town. And, uh, you know, is there a good reason to do it? Well, if there isn't, don't do it. Uh, and so... I think keeping your goals in mind uh, in the classroom, for example, uh, you know, don't waste your time memorizing dates unless there's a good reason to memorize a date. It's one of the reasons students don't like history. I get, I hear that all the time. Well, I can't remember dates. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you don't need to remember. And, uh, and so I think that's an important perspective. Totally. And I'm hearing purpose, the word purpose, right? If you don't have a purpose or understand the purpose of why you're doing it, I think it's going to be tough to choose a positive attitude around it or, or develop that, that passion and that attitude around it. But if, if there's something that you're passionate about, you believe in, and you see that purpose in meeting, I think it then becomes a situation where it's a lot easier to be positive about something um, and choose that right attitude. All right, number three. Um, set high realistic standards. Um, and I think this is important too, because, you know, if you're going into surgery and you think it's going to be a cakewalk and you're going to be fine afterwards, you are setting yourself up for failure. 
Um, and so that, that preparation of, of knowing what might be coming, um, especially when, when it might be a difficult situation, um, being able to wrap your head around and your attitude around what to expect. And I think that's important is like being, having realistic standards of what a situation is going to be like and being able to wrap your, hand, uh, your head around that. So what does success here look like in, in this situation? What does success look like? Um, you know, we can go back to the football field. It's like there's some really good teams that I've coached, and there are some really teams that, you know, there's some teams that really needed some help. Um, but what was successful for that group? What was successful from the group that was going to be really successful versus the group that was going to struggle all year? You got to redefine and have realistic standards because that way you can keep the attitude positive. Because if I'm working with a group that, 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 that is going to struggle to win a football game this season, and we're sitting here holding a standard of we want the state championship this year, that's going to set me up for a, a negative attitude around everything that we're doing. But if our goal is to, to be better than we were the last game, and maybe not even win a game, but to be better than we were than the last game that we played, and I, and I identify that, as the standard, then I will be able to wrap a positive attitude around it. And I think that's important. So realistic standards. Um, how do you go about setting standards for yourself or, 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 or along your career? How, how did realistic standards um, assist you uh, in your attitude? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And, and I, I think that you can always be the best you can be. You can always work on little things that show your own improvement. And it's true. Joseph, you know, you had a, a brother who was very, very quick. And that wasn't you, Joe. It just wasn't you. It really wasn't. <laughs> you know, I had I had two brothers that played in the Shrine game, which is like an all-star game here. Joe Traeger did not go to the Shrine game. Okay, we sent somebody else. Um, but absolutely. Um, you, I, I, I'm hearing John Wooden right here, right? The great coach, John Wooden. And so, um, uh, he talks about, you know, success is peace of mind in knowing that you gave it your very best to become the best you, again, you that you're capable of becoming. And I think about those words all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really important. And, and students, uh, not all students are Harvard bound, not all athletes are pro or even college bound. But you can be good for you, and you need to take great pleasure in that. If you're giving your best, if you're doing your best, um, not only should you feel good about it, but the, your, your support group, your teachers, your coaches, your parents should take great joy in you being the best you can be. That's a heck of a victory, and it's absolutely worth it. I, I couldn't agree with you even uh, you know more, and so... Um, as we continue, number four, okay, again, these are, these are mental skills that, that can help us create habit um, and, and build positive attitude in our life and in time, really capture that. Number four, deal effectively with people. Uh, I, I think you do this. It's so, it's so natural to you. you uh, I don't care what room you go into, and I don't care who's in there. When you walk into that room, you are going to be a friend. Tell me a little bit about that. How in the world, John Kuhnman, do you 
uh, do you do that? How do you tackle that? It seems second nature to me, but it is a purposeful thing that I, I do, and it's an effective thing. When, I, when, when somebody comes to me or I go into a room, I want to shake their hand. Don't, you know, it, it has great value. A personal contact, an appropriate handshake, a look in the eye, how you doing? Or uh, uh, when opposing coaches would come for a ball game, I'd shake their hand, go up to them and say, welcome to Mount Angel. You know, and, and, and I, I think it means something. And if you can use their name, welcome to Mount Angel, Joseph Traeger. I think people like that and it puts them at ease. And it, it makes them feel good and makes them feel like there's a connection. Don't um, also don't hesitate to look them right in the eye and uh, and and then and then be genuine. Don't be phony. Be genuine and uh, and be positive And the rewards are huge. Yeah, the, the, the handshake and the looking somebody in the eye. Um, listening to Garth Brooks' uh, biography on on A and E, or it's a show. I was watching it, and he talks about what his dad told him about shaking somebody's hand. And right there in that moment, they're gonna know if you're serious about what you're doing. And so that that, that idea that you know shaking somebody's hand, looking in the eye, be in that moment, right? You know, and we yeah. live in a world of, of phones and technology, and you know we're 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 talking on a podcast for goodness sakes, and there's great things about it, but. But don't forget how important it is to be in that moment. Um, shake somebody's hand, make eye contact, be kind to them. Um, and that's what I hear you saying is like, and so, uh, you know, go into a situation and be in that moment. Don't, you know, we have so much that we worry about in life and so many different things going on. But when we go in a, into a room, the people that we're in that room with deserve our attention. Um, and, and we can at least give them that respect is like be in that moment with them. Um, so I think that's, that's sound advice. I need to jump in here because you reminded me that it was in fact, my father who taught me the value of the handshake. And, uh, over the years when he'd come to town to see a ball game or just to visit the family, uh, we always shook hands and, uh, I'm just reminded of that now and how special and precious that was and what it taught me. Thanks dad. Yeah, that's a, that's incredible. Um, so that's, you know, those are, those are level one mental skills that we can positively, um, bring into our attitude, you know, as you go into five, um, you know, level two, um, you, you talk about positive self-talk, uh, use of positive, men, uh, positive mental imagery. Um, I, I think that's an important one too. Um, and that's something that you need to practice over time. As I was driving in my car, um, over here to talk to you. We're sitting in your dining room right now. I was imagining how this conversation was going to go. Um, but again, why spend the time imagining putting that imagery into work um, if it's not something you care about? You know, so um, being realistic again with the standards, what you expect in a situation, um, and then also create some imagery around it. Imagine what that situation is going to be like and how it's going to play out. Uh, in football, I know we do this as coaches, um, but in life, I mean, do you, do you use imagery um, as you go I into situations? Do you think about how it's going to be, how it's going to play out, um, and does that give you a sense of control? Right, absolutely. I, um, all the years that I taught and all of the years that I coached, I spent a great amount of time 
before whatever event it was, a simple class uh, or, or a practice or a game. What's it going to be like? And yes, I, I talked to myself. I talked it over. Uh, even that goofy pretest speech, I, I practiced it to myself. It had to be good. And I, I used to also try to uh, filter out any negative, what negative could happen when I do this or when I say that. And, um, and it prepares you for the worst. And uh, so a lot of time in preparation, but it's all well worth it. I couldn't agree uh, more. And then we jump into these level threes, and these are, you know, things that, you know, and I take, you know, take care of level ones first, you know, choosing a good attitude, maintaining some type of motivation, be purposeful with what you're doing, realistic standards, and then, you know, be a, a, a person that, that seeks um, the good in people, right? And be good for other people. So as you jump down managing anxiety, um, I think that's a, that's a bigger task. And I think, it, as we do those level one items, we get to be able to do that a little bit more. And as we talk about attitude, I, I think about stress tolerance. I think about stress tolerance and I think about, you know, things that we've already talked about. And it's like if, if you can create attitude um, and good positive attitude in your life, maybe that'll help with, with stress. So here we go. Stress tolerance, support network. We've talked about that today. A sense of control, you know, controlling a situation, going into it, um, game planning, being prepared. Um, you know, number, number three is stress tolerance, attitude and outlook is bring that optimism to the game, right? The ability to deal with your emotions. And I think this is a bigger conversation. Um, we have emotions. We are human. We, we, our emotions go all over the place, but the, I think a key factor in that, and I, th- I think a key factor in choosing your attitude, also dealing with stress is your ability to say, why am I having this emotion? And is it a good one? If it's a bad one, why am I having, a, having that? And then eliminate it from, from the situation. Why am I having this emotion? And if it's a good one, reinforce it in life, right? And again, as we sift through that, um, that's a good But when I hear about stress, tolerance, and I hear, you know, we're talking about attitude, I'm reminded of, uh, of how building positive attitude and creating that as a habit in life It'll help you with stress. It'll help you prepare. It'll help you build grit and resilience in your life. And so um, that's, again, why I, I love the idea of talking to you about, about attitude because these are all these things that I, I see in you. And uh, my guess would be that because of the way you've decided to choose attitude around your everyday, it's probably contributed to less stress. It's probably contributed to better relationships um, in your life. And uh, again, the, you know, we talked about it earlier, overall happiness, I, you know, so, um, you know, maintaining and, and number nine on this, the, the mental skills of positive attitude. Number nine is maintaining concentration and focus. It's not easy. Um, and I think that if we create the habit in our life of choosing good attitude, building optimism around the way we think about things, building enthusiasm um, in how we approach situations, I think then it becomes a little bit easier to concentrate and focus on that being a key aspect of our life. Yeah, I'm thinking about how to use emotions and, and uh, 
your 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 approach to what it is you're doing, whatever it is, and it can be anything from just your relationships within your family, your friends, or your job. If you get excited, you know, let those emotions go. Let them let them come to the surface and and build on it. As a teacher, how can you expect? Uh, to your students to be excited about history if you're not excited about it. Get excited. Use those emotions in positive ways. Um, and prepare yourself so that, you know, the, the anxiety over failure uh, is always met with a plan. You better have a plan. And uh, so be excited. Uh, have a plan. Be positive. And, uh, and you get the rewards. I always thought uh, as a teacher that the, I guess that my greatest fear, my greatest anxiety was boring students. <laughs> I didn't want them to be bored. And if it took uh, a little bit of a dog and pony show to get them excited, I was willing to do that. Um, and so lack of emotion uh, or, you know, any negative vibes, negative air, it just, that's the worst possible thing. Make it fun, make it exciting, and when the emotions come to the surface, let them all be positive. And, and definitely, as I think about you and in my interactions with you, you've done that at such a brilliant, consistent level, and I think that consistency is huge because you have created it to be a neutral in your life. You know, it's like human beings, we are very resilient. When something really good happens, we're really excited about it for a little bit of time. When something bad happens, we're sad about it for a little bit of time. But we always, as a resilient being, we come back to this neutral. Your neutral, John, is is so uh, positive and energetic. And, and again, it comes from you choosing um, to that be who you are. Um, and again, I know it's something you've worked on. I, I know it's something that you've built into your life. And so I can't thank you enough for, for, for talking to me about attitude today. Um, it's definitely an important umbrella when it comes to capture it. Um, and hopefully, um, as the listeners, um, take some of this, they, they'll be able to uh, capture what we're talking about and, and implement it a little bit into their life, something, one thing, um, and start working on it today. Well, let, let me throw in here a disclaimer, because the truth is, the absolute truth is that I haven't always been successful and I haven't always been positive, that I have made mistakes, as everybody does. But as I look back and, and wish I could erase those parts in my life where I wasn't successful, uh, when I think back about things um, that didn't go well, um, that's where my shame is. That's where I say, you know, the problem with that was I wasn't being positive. The problem with that was I didn't follow my own actual guidelines. And uh, so if I, you know, blew a cork and was uh, more angry than positive toward a student or an athlete, uh, I'm deeply ashamed and sorry about that because I should have known better. I should have done better. But um, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, you know, that I, I hope that I did have some positive uh, influence on on you and others. It means a great deal to me. All right. Um, thank you again, um, the brilliant John Kumiter. We like to end our show um, with a moment of gratitude. Um, you know, so part of 
capture that R is, is recognition. And so I'm always asking my students, who in your life or what in your life is worthy of some recognition? And then, the, the, you know, that should pop something into your head, right? Um, and then I think we can do a better job as people of when, when we ask ourselves that question, who in my life or what in my life is worthy of some recognition, do something about it. Um, send a nice text, write a letter, say something. Um, cause I think we think a lot about, um, people in our life that we're thankful, but we wait till our birthday or we wait till Thanksgiving or we wait. But I think we should always be working on, um, using recognition in our life as a tool of gratitude. So, um, John, I asked the question to you, who in your life or what in your life is worthy of some recognition? And I'm going to give you the chance to, to, let them know it. Wow. Well, my wife, Pam, number one, absolute great life partner. We've been together for over 40 years, and she has meant so much to me. She's stable. She's loving. She's hardworking. She's smart. She's gorgeous. And <laughs> I absolutely love her. My parents, Sue and Al Koopenbender, awesome. My kids, Sarah and Kelly, the greatest kids a man could ever hope for. Great people. And, and you know, going out from there, you know, I, <laughs> the students and athletes that I've taught and coached over the years, uh, some of the greatest influences on my life. Uh, and uh, I'm so grateful for the chance to interact with them. And the only thing I really don't like about being retired from teaching is missing out on that everyday interaction with the students. So I got so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. Good friends, good family, and a very, very good life. And I wish that for everybody because it's awesome. That is that is a great moment of, of recognition. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to share one as well. Um, today, I, I, I think about um, something in my life um, that I'm that I'm grateful for that deserves recognition is uh, as I sit here with you, um, somebody that was my teacher, that was my coach, um, I am so thankful. Um, and it needs to be recognized that how much I value the fact that I get to call you my friend. Um, and in the times that I hang out with you and my dad, you know, cause my dad spent a whole, my whole lifetime being my parent, being my father, and he did a great job at it. But now that I'm on my own and, and taking care of myself, right. Um, I get to be my father's friend and I get to be your friend and the times that we spend together. Um, I hope you know how much I value the fact that, that I get to call John Kubenbinder a good friend, um, who was an amazing teacher, uh, who was an amazing coach, um, who created some attitude much needed in myself to go do what I was going to do and what I am doing. And, um, it is, it is quite the honor to get to, to sit here, um, and call you my friend in, in the times that we get to go to lunch together and, uh, just hang out are times that I just eat up. Um, it's something I look forward to and it, and it puts pure joy into my heart and a big smile on my face. So, um, I'm, I'm thankful for that, um, in my life is that, you know, people like you, people like my father, um, that I get to be friends with now. 
Um, and it's just so, uh, it's so impactful. And I, I, I love that. So I, I hope, you know, you're my friend. Can I call you my friend? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great perspective. I, uh, I cherish our friendship too. And, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, having people like you in my life, make my life richer. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy to know you. I'm happy to call you my friend. Amazing. And, and a big part of, of this, this, this podcast and, and capturing it is, is that I, I get excited about, um, extending the conversation to, to as many people as we can. As I told you earlier, I said, John, there is going to be students that, that you taught years and years ago that listen to this podcast because you are on it. Um, and so hopefully our conversation today around attitude, um, around choosing it, um, hopefully our listeners, um, uh, those that know it and those that need it, um, they can take something away um, or be reminded of, of the importance of it. So um, that concludes uh, this episode. And uh, thank you. Um, from the bottom of my heart for uh, being a guest on Capture It, the podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you, Joseph Traeger. All right, we are going to sign off. Don't forget that you can subscribe, rate, and review. We're looking for five stars. If you want to follow us on our Instagram, that is uh, at the handle captureit.joe. Um, and we look forward to continuing this journey, and we look forward to the work on capturing it ourselves. to bug you here at the end but i gotta give a quick shout out got a couple students that said hey you gotta shout me out on the next episode so you know who you are luke ben this one's for you we'll see you next time on capture it